What's going on, y'all? Um, so we are back in Colossians, back in the book of Colossians. I guess we were there the last two weeks, but um, we're back in the book of Colossians. And uh, where we're at tonight is we're picking up where we left off last week. And our text tonight is going to be uh, Colossians 2, 20 through chapter 3, verse 4. And so, um, yeah, we're right at this point, we're like halfway through the book. And um, tonight, like the text tonight is going to kind of mark a transition point in the letter for Paul and for us. And so um, up to this point, what, what we've seen is Paul beautifully expressed the gospel. We've seen him kind of deconstruct these false beliefs that a lot of, of the Colossian churches had. Um, and, and he's replaced them with how the gospel is better in every way. And so um, tonight, we're going we're gonna to see a piece of that. Um, we're going to see him kind of deconstruct a misbelief. But the purpose of that now in this transition piece is to build to what does the Christian life now look like. Um, and so we're going to get a glimpse into that tonight. Uh, so there are few things worse uh, than trying to earn or get something that you just can't quite achieve, right? Uh, think of that girl in high school you wanted to take out and, you know, she, she just, she wasn't, she wasn't down for it. Um, or think about running the mile and trying to get your best time and you just can't quite get What's your best time, Grant? Can't get under 4.48. You just, you're trying to get there and you can't get there. Um, for me, it was like, I, I loved baseball. And so uh, it, I wanted to hit, I wanted to hit 90 miles an hour so bad, uh, I couldn't quite get there. It was ju- just under 90. Um, and for some of us at school, like we want, we want to keep, we want to keep that 4.0. And we just can't quite earn that. Like we hit that philosophy class, it's brutal, that physics class or that Spanish class that kind of sucks, and it just falls apart. And so, um, like, all of, all, all of our life, it seems, is us trying to earn and get something. It's try, us trying to achieve something. It's trying to, um, try, trying to hit these goals. And, and part of that is, like, natural, right? Like, you're here on campus in Missoula. You're trying to get a degree. You're trying to get a job, right, in the future. Like, you're trying to, get, you're trying to achieve that goal. You're trying to earn something through uh, your time here on campus, uh, the reality is, though, for most of us, all these goals and all these achievements that we have for ourselves, um, we rarely achieve everything we set out to do, like that B or C in Spanish class. Um, we rarely achieve those goals that we set out for ourselves to do. Um, and even when we do achieve those goals, it seems like we're never satisfied with it, right? Like, I just, if I just had blank, my life would be all right, right? If I, if I, just, had, if I just got this degree, my life would be easier from that point on. What happens is that idea of success and achievement, it's a moving target. And we, we get to a point and, and, and we achieve that specific thing that we want so badly and then we replace it with something else. Like, oh, I just need this. I just need this next thing. I just need this next income bracket. I just need this next. I, I need to get married. I need to have kids. Like, it's a constantly moving target. Um, Madonna, one of like the most famous musicians in the history of musicians, um, has had more success than most musicians throughout the history. There, there are a few music- musicians who can say they've had more success than Madonna. And despite all of her success, despite all of her achievements, despite all of her philanthropic work and all the good she's done, she's still dissatisfied with what she's achieved. Look at this quote from a, an interview with Vogue magazine. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human. 
but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. There are similar quotes like that from from CEOs, from the most successful businessmen in the world, from other entertainers, from athletes. It's never enough to achieve those things that we set out to achieve. Uh, Even at the height of success, there's this feeling of inadequacy. There's this weight of inadequacy. There's this this need to continue to achieve and succeed. And and part of that's our culture, right? Like it's it's the air we breathe. Um, It's wired into us uh, as a culture to do, to achieve. And um, the sad fact is it's never, never enough. And even when we arrive and we get to that point where we're, we, we, we never arrive. Even when we think we arrive, we're not arriving yet. So why is this? Why is there this eternal dissatisfaction with our achievements and our goals? I, I got two answers for you. One, we're trying to earn something that can't be earned. Because you're trying to earn comfort, satisfaction, uh, whatever it is, at the base desire, you're trying to earn something that can't be earned. Because the perfect satisfaction is in God. Not in your career, not in Madonna's music career, not in all the good she's done. And the second reason is because earning is never, was never actually part of our design as humans. Earning was never actually part of our design as humans. We were never designed to earn something, we were designed to worship. And so this very idea of earning, of achieving, it's merely the sin-twisted version of what worship is supposed to be. And so tonight what we're going to see is we're going to see a contrast in worship. We're going to see a contrast in, um, in, in the futility of earning something before God and the glory of worshiping something because God's already given it to you. It's that's that futility of earning, that missing part of us, that thing that we are constantly striving for, and the glory of worship when that piece that's missing is supplied by Christ. So what this contrast is going to do for us, what these two kind of pieces are going to do for us, is it's going to set the stage for then what our obedience looks like. It's going to set the stage for what the rest of the Christian life looks like. Um, And so additionally, as I said earlier, our text is also a transition piece. It's a transition piece from believing to doing. It's a transition piece from, from framing a right theology, a right belief about God, and a right belief about ourselves, so that then out of that, we can obey. We can be righteous and good. And so uh, I want to read our text tonight, which, again, which is Colossians 2, 20 through chapter 3, verse 4. Um, it'll be on the screen. So Colossians 2, 20, uh, chapter 3, verse 4. If, we, or if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring all to things that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, let's pray real quick. Lord God, we, uh, we are, are broken creatures that need help. And um, 
Tonight is no different. God, I ask that through uh, my feeble attempts at communicating your word um, and understanding it and helping impart that understanding, God, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that you would be made much of. I pray that uh, we would be put in a place where we need you. Um, Yeah, Lord, make the gospel big tonight. Um, Make yourself big tonight. and uh, Make us very, very small. Uh, Lord, we love you, and it's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so as I said, there's two contrasts, two kind of two halves to our texts, and uh, the kind of overarching theme of what we're going to look at tonight is just a simple phrase that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And, and so that first piece of that contrast, it's going to kind of build out to this idea that Jesus is enough, is um, earning is the futile attempt of a fallen worship. Earning is the futile efforts of a fallen worship. Um, if you'll remember, back in some of the other talks we've had in the book of Colossians, um, this church was really wrestling with their faith. Uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Um, they were operating in kind of a culture where, where a variety of faith traditions were influencing their belief about God and who he was. And um, what, they, what, they, what ha- started to happen was they started to kind of adopt what they thought was good from other faith other faiths and other cultures and other traditions. And the reason for this was because the gospel wasn't enough for them. It, it, it was, and it's not the gospel wasn't enough for them because the gospel wasn't big enough, as, so they thought. It was because they were so bad that they needed more than just the gospel to make up for how bad they were. And so what would happen is uh, a dude uh, would, uh, a Christian dude, he'd have a bad marriage and he'd look at his neighbor who had a good marriage and he'd be like, uh, man, I need, to, like, I need to have a better marriage if I'm going to please God. Like, I need to have a better marriage to make up for how bad I am at everything else in my life. And so he'd see his neighbor who had some kind of uh, uh, weird spiritualism where he was worshiping some kind of angels or whatever, um, which is a pretty hyperbolic example, but a, a real one at this time. And he'd adopt, he'd go, what's your marriage look like? Why are you such a good husband? Why is your wife such a good wife? I need that. And so what would happen is he adopted into his marriage something outside of God's word and outside of the designs of God because he feels so inadequate that he needs something else to help, that the gospel wasn't enough for him. What they were doing was, was they were taking what they thought was good and helpful from other beliefs and faiths and melding and molding it into what their faith looked like. So yeah, and, and, and here's the thing. It wasn't just a utilitarian thing. Like, I just want a better marriage, and so I see your marriage, and so I want it. Um, it wasn't even just like a, I want people to see me have a good marriage because I'm a Christian, and so I want that. What it was was a faith thing. They had a weak faith. They had a, they had a weak faith that the gospel wasn't enough, that God's word wasn't enough, that God's revealed, what God revealed in his word was not enough for their marriage, so he needed something else. They had a weak faith. They had these questions. Is Jesus enough? Their answer was no. Is the gospel sufficient for how dead and broken I am? Their answer was no. Is the gospel and Jesus and God sufficient for my joy, for my happiness, for my standing before God? The answer was no. Jesus wasn't enough. And so the church began adding pieces and practices and beliefs um, and specifically these traditions and these practices from other faith traditions. And as we talked about in the last couple of weeks, all of these faith traditions, um, and as we see in our text, were man-made. They were human-made. They weren't from God. And, and ultimately, these, these are false faiths and false religions. False. 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 False religions. And it was aimed at their fear, their fear of inadequacy before God. 
Jesus wasn't enough for them, so they had to try and earn something before God. Read verse 20 through 23 with me. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? Stop there. Paul's question to this church is why? Why are you doing this? Why are you adopting these, these, these beliefs? Why are you still living to these human traditions, to these elemental spiritual traditions, to these man-made traditions, if you've died to them? Continue reading. Why, if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul's argument to this church is why? Why are you using, why are you adopting doctrine that isn't from God? What a great question. If Jesus died for your brokenness. If you've been redeemed by God from your brokenness, why are you still living as a slave to your brokenness, trying to earn something before God? It's unreasonable, right? But let me ask you guys a question, all right? Let me ask you guys a question. Where is it you feel you need to earn something? Before God, before people, or before yourself? Where is it you're trying to make God proud of you or somebody else proud of you or even yourself proud of you? Where is it that you were trying to prove to yourself, to God or somebody else that you belong in this family called Christians? See, I think we don't have like exactly like this. In one sense, this text where they have all these like weird spiritualism things happening inside of their faith, like we don't have that, right? Like, so, so this isn't exactly a one a, a perfect example of what it looks like for us to try and make up for what we believe is lacking in the gospel. For us, uh, I, think, I think here at GCF, that happens in a far more low-key way. It happens in a really subtle way. And, and I think uh, one of the primary ways that looks is um, when we encounter struggles or sin, what are our answers to those struggles and sins? Where do you look where do you go when you have a conflict with a friend? Are you going to a book? Are you going to uh, some, I don't know, website, how to fix a conflict with your roommate? <laughs> Are you going to a friend to help with another friend? What's your answer for that conflict? When you're struggling with, with lust, is your only answer to get filters on and get some, get, some, get some accountability and that's your answer, that's your fix? When we try to answer the problem of anger, are you going to anger management? Is, is that, that, that's what our culture would say. Go to anger management. That's the, answer to, that's the answer to an anger problem. You see, I think because we, um, our subtle way of supplementing the gospel in terms of our, uh, our, our standing before God is with those little ways in which we don't see the gospel and we don't see God's word as sufficient for helping those circumstances. It's the subtle ways that we supplement God's word with, not to say books can't be helpful. Books can absolutely be helpful. So can sermons. So can, uh, so can advice from a friend. But when that takes a primary place before God's word in the gospel, then you're doing exactly what the Colossian church was doing. 
You're adopting something outside of the gospel as authoritative for change in your life. And, and I think uh, another really primary way this happens in our life where we, where we um, try and make up for our weak faith is we try and get approval from other people. Um, it's this autonomous, self-exalting culture that we live in. We try and get other people's approval so that maybe somehow that means I can get approval before God. Our, personally, for me, this is, I mean, this is how it showed up in my life. Like my weak lack of, of trust in the sufficiency of the gospel is, has been manifest through this idea of, of earning people's approval. It's pride. And, and I, th- I thought that somehow earning someone's approval and proving that I belonged in the church, you know, reading and knowing and learning a lot, um, would somehow in a twisted way mean I proved I belonged in the family of God. And, and maybe you're like me and you have that, you have that experience. Um, but I would just ask you again, where is it you're trying to prove you belong as a Christian? Where is it you're trying to earn something before God, before other people, or before yourself? Um, I want to look back real quick at, at verses uh, 20 through 23, and what we're going to see here is um, what God calls those efforts, or God, what God calls those efforts, and what Paul calls those efforts, how Paul describes those efforts at earning something that the gospel supplies already. Um, if, you, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Appearance of wisdom, not real wisdom. Self-made religion, not God-revealed religion. Uh, um, it's, It's of no value whatsoever it, it's it's an indul- no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh no value in there, there is no value in in trying to answer sin and struggle in your life outside of the gospel there is no value to trying to answer sin and struggle in your life outside of the gospel a sweeping broad statement but absolutely true You see, our our efforts aimed at earning something. Whether that's God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, entrance into this family of Christians. They're ultimately vain, futile attempts to please God from an altogether unpleasable place. It's vanity. It's in that you're doing it for yourself. To please, to prove, or to provide for yourself. It's futile and that no matter how high the achievements are, it's never going to be enough, not only for yourself, as Madonna showed us, but it's never going to be enough before God. You see, the only thing that can satisfy God is perfection. The only thing that can satisfy God is perfection. But you know what's really cool? Someone did that. Jesus was perfect. And fortunately for us, Jesus offers us his reward for that perfection. You see, the irony of the weak faith that these Colossians had, the irony of that idea that they're so bad the gospel can't even fix them, that they need these other things, 
Is it outside of Christ? That's absolutely true, right? Outside of Christ, they are that inadequate. They are that insufficient. They are that broken. But the key is outside of Christ, they're that broken. What they had was the gospel. And what we have is the gospel. You see, we wrestle with these constant feelings of inadequacy and insufficiency because we are inadequate and insufficient outside of Christ. That's what Paul calls... um, Oh, sorry, I skipped ahead. We are insufficient outside of Christ. But you know what what is sufficient? is the gospel. What is adequate is the gospel. The gospel and the work of Christ are sufficient. And this kind of leads us into our our second point tonight, um, which is exalted worship is a response to what we have in Christ. We have a fallen worship, which is an attempt at earning something before God, but an exalted worship is a response to what we have in Christ. Let's read the beginning of chapter 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I'm going to synopsize what we just did real quick so this is clear for us. The Colossian church was attempting to supplement their faith with thoughts and ideas from their culture and other religions because they felt the gospel wasn't enough because they were so bad. Um, They thought their mere faith wasn't enough to make up for how depraved and evil and broken and spiritually dead they were. Um, But Paul's going to destroy that idea and he's going to actually flip that over on them. Because they operated out of this idea that they were so bad the gospel couldn't make up for it. And so, and so what it looks like is they, they, they just, it's, it's not a, what's happening here is not a wrong view of themselves. What's happening here is a weak faith in the gospel. It's not a wrong view of themselves that they're, that they're wrestling with. It's a wrong and low view of the gospel because they don't see it as enough. They don't see it as valuable enough to fix, to help, and to sustain them. And see, what, Paul's gonna sh- what Paul just showed us in, that, in those verses is that what has actual value, not no value, but actual value in conquering sin and conquering struggle and conquering pain in your life, what has actual hope and actual joy and actual answers, it's the gospel and it's Christ. Specifically Christ. Where is actual help for anger and anxiety? It's in the gospel. Where is actual help for lust? It's the gospel. Where's actual help for that conflict? It's conflict resolution around the gospel. Those feelings of insufficiency are answered at the cross. Knowing you're at, you, you are a fault-filled husk of, of human brokenness is a good thing. Colossians had that. But they also had a low view of the gospel. See, um, instead of seeing the gospel as their answer, they were looking to um, the wisdom of the world, their own wisdom, and the wisdoms of those around them. But the truth is, it is in Jesus that all of that is made complete. Uh, Jesus earned it, and so we can rest in it. Um, I want us to really quick read Colossians 3.3, because this is going to help us a lot here. Um, Colossians 3.3 says, um, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? How is that helpful? See, when you arrive at eternity, when you arrive at eternity and you're standing before God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, why does he say that? Because you were awesome and fixed your problems? Because you went to church enough? Because you, you, fixed, you, fi- you fixed that conflict with that, that dude you had in college? <laughs> now the reason God looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant, is because he doesn't see Stephen dressed in his prideful, arrogant, broken, lazy rags. What he sees is Stephen hidden in the pure, righteous, beautiful robes of Jesus. Hidden in Christ means that when God looks at you, he sees the work of Christ. When God looks at you, he sees the work, perfection of Jesus. My life, my eternity, your life, your eternity, as a Christian that's been raised with Christ, you are hidden in the perfections of Christ. To be hidden in Christ is to stand justified before God as perfect, not because we earned it, because Jesus did. Not because we earned it with the right book, the right program, or, or, or the right counseling. But because Jesus earned it for us. That's what it means to be hidden in Christ. Only then can we move into what obedience looks like. Only then can we move into what a gospel morality and ethic looks like. And so that's what's happening here in this text right here. This is the transition point from... Um, from, from all this, this, this gospel and this theology and these thoughts about God into what does it look like to be a Christian. And so, um, already having that righteousness earned by Christ and then being obedient, that's called worship. Where you flip it around and say, I want to be obedient because I want to earn what Christ did for me. That's where we fall in the ditch. That's what that first point is. Is our effort at earning grace before God, it's a futile effort. It's a futile attempt. It's a fallen worship. Let's look real quick again at uh, Colossians 3.1. If then... Stop. If, then. This is, um, this is the transition point to biblical living. This is the transition point to living out a gospel ethic. If, then, implies that, that there is something assumed here, that there's something happening before what comes next. And um, so re- re- read on. If, then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If then you have been raised with Christ, if then you have the gospel, if then you believe in Jesus, if then you are redeemed, if then Jesus has given you his righteousness, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. Why be obedient? Why be righteous? What's the motivation for living rightly? Not to earn something, not to make up for what is lacking in the gospel because the gospel is sufficient, Why be obedient? Because of worship. That's what worship is. 
all of the commands that follow this text, all of the ways Paul corrects our, our walk, all the way Paul changes how we, how we operate as husbands, how we operate as, as workers and employees, as we operate as students, as we operate in relationships, all of that comes after you've been raised with Christ. And so why does that matter? Why does it matter we get, that we get that order right? You see, it matters because one is worship and one is an attempt at earning, as we've just seen. One is worship and one is an attempt at earning. Loving the Lord and living a life to glorify him is worship when it, it is a response to what you've already received in Christ. You see, the message of the gospel is not do these good and holy things so that God will love you. It's do these good and holy things because God has already loved you. This is where the Colossian church was messing up a little bit. They felt the need to supplement the gospel. Their faith in Jesus was lacking. Their trust in the cross was lacking to the point they thought they needed to make up for where it was lacking. They thought that that distance between them and God was only bridged partway by Jesus. That the rest of it, that was their, that was, that was all those, those weird religious things that they started incorporating into their life. You see, this is why as Christians in our life and in our evangelism and in our relationships, this is why what we give away to our unbelieving roommates, our unbelieving friends and our unbelieving neighbors is the gospel. Not Christian morality and ethics, but the gospel. We were talking in community group last night. We, we have community group Sovereign Hope. And, um, this sermon this last week was kind of about, um, well, it was about Jesus spending time with tax collectors and sinners. And so we were talking in our community group a little bit about what that looks like for us. Like how many of us are spending time with people that, that aren't like us, that aren't believing Christians. And um, I play on a volleyball team uh, with Tyler and some other guys from church. And um, we, uh, one of the guys brought up that, uh, he, he was kind of questioning, well, what's, like, if I want to go out and get a drink with someone, but they like to get rowdy, like, what, where's, where's the line there? Where should I participate and not participate? Because it feels like I'm endorsing it, you know, if I'm hanging out with them and they're getting, they're, they're getting trashed, right? Um, but um, the point is, is that what's best for that friend that you're getting a drink with isn't his sobriety, but his salvation. And the, to, 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 to be clear, though, I just want to say there is a degree to which human flourishing is, is helped by obeying God and by following the commands of God because God's designed the universe in such a way that, that obeying God is better for the human being, is better for you, is better for me than disobeying God. And so um, not getting drunk is going to be ultimately better for, the, for human flourishing than getting drunk. And so um, there's obviously nuance there, but when you have a conversation with that guy about um, faith and religion, it's not about his drunkenness. It's about a separation from God. We shouldn't be after their sobriety. I shouldn't be after my friend's sobriety. I should be after his salvation. Because the reality is sobriety without salvation is a band-aid on a brain tumor. My concern for my friend doesn't begin with his alcoholism. It begins with a separation from God. And moreover, on a general cultural level, like um, 
we just spent 20 minutes like talking about how we can't be good enough to earn God's uh, grace and favor and salvation. Um, but that is the image that modern evangelicalism kind of projects. That's when people look at Christians and think Christian, they think uh, people that people that think they're better than everyone else because they're doing the right things, because they are somehow right before God, because they're doing the right things. That's the, that's the image that's out there of Christians. And you know, to a degree, they're right, because that's how we've, uh, that's how Western evangelicalism, Western Christianity has manifested itself for the last however many years. And so I, I just want to ask you with this if-then piece, if then you have been raised with Christ, have you been raised with Christ? Do you see your sin before God? Do you see the depth of your sin before God? Do you see the beauty of Jesus then paying for that sin? Do you see the beauty of Jesus giving you his righteousness? Do you trust then that that was enough? Do you cherish the reality that Jesus dying for your sin and giving you his righteousness was enough? Because if Jesus did all of that for you, then what is a reasonable response? If God brought you back to himself from eternal separation, what is the reasonable response? It's worship. It's obedience. It's righteousness. See, as we said, the big problem for the Colossian church was that they had too little faith in the gospel. And they had too little faith in the gospel because they were too concerned with their self-made empty religions. They had too little of an idea of who God was and what God had for them. The big problem for the Colossian church is they were focused on the temporary now. You see, we sin, we still struggle, we still fail. Sanctification takes a lifetime, right? We're always going to be growing. We're always going to be growing into, in, in, into the perfect righteousness that, 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 that God has for us in eternity. Um, but if this life is what matters most to you, if we are seeking the things of the earth, not the things above, then these self-made religions are reasonable. You want to have your best life now. It's reasonable that, 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 um, that you try and supplement the gospel because the gospel doesn't promise a perfect life now. The gospel doesn't promise that you'll never struggle or sin again because you will. The gospel promises an eternity and that is what Paul is telling us to do. Focus and think about the things that are above. Read Colossians 3, 1 through 3 with me. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on things that are above. Who's above? Christ. Christ Jesus. What's on earth? What are the earthly things? Human traditions. What's above? Jesus in the gospel. What is... What, what are the things of the earth? Preoccupation with the fleeting now. 
our worship begins with continually pondering, meditating on, and thinking about Jesus and the gospel. Our worship begins with constantly thinking about meditating on the promises of God. Our worship begins with thinking about and meditating on God and the gospel. I want to read Colossians 3, 4 with me. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, your life is not your own anymore. If you are hidden with Christ in God, as verse 4 says, then Christ, or verse 1 says, then Christ, or verse 3, sorry. If you're hidden with Christ, hidden in Christ in God, as verse 3 says, then your life is, then Christ is your life, as verse 4 says. And it's not just that Jesus is the source of your life, which he is, but the effect on the individual isn't the mixing in a little bit of religion, a little bit of Jesus, and a little bit of Christian morality to a life that already exists. The effect of Jesus on your life is a radical reshaping of your identity. The effect of the gospel is a ripple that causes tsunamis of change in your personal and private and public life. In every way, the gospel changes who you are. From your desires, from your sin struggles, from your anger, from your, the degree you choose, every single part of who you are changes with the gospel. Now what this means is that the righteousness that we walk in as Christians and the life we live is all an act of worship. Every exam you study for is an act of worship because the gospel reshapes how you think about your education. Every meal you eat is an act of worship because you're pondering on the fact that God gave food taste and the fact that God gave you food to eat that day. This means that your kindness to your jerk of a roommate is an act of worship because you're reflecting the kindness God showed you when you were a rebel before him. This means that your, any act of generosity to your struggling friend is an act of worship because you're reflecting the generosity of Christ to impart to you his righteousness. So I want to just close really quick by reading Colossians 3.17. I know this is uh, in our text next week, but um, Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. Um, God's command for us tonight, Paul's command for us tonight, what he told us to do, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. What I want to leave you with um, is a compulsion to focus and think about and set your mind on the truths of the gospel in every area of your life. And I want that to be a compulsion, not, a, not, not to get something, but a compulsion because you've already been given everything. You see, if you're a Christian, then everything you do and everything you think is done in the name of Jesus because everything you do is worship. There is no separation between school and faith. There is no separation between work and faith. There is no separation between family and faith. There is no separation between your thoughts and faith, your personal life and faith, your, your recreation and faith. Everything you are is hidden in Christ and everything you are is, Christ is your life, as verse four says. You cannot separate your faith 
from the rest of your life. See, if you've been raised with Christ, then every second you spend on this earth, whether thinking, doing, or saying, is lived in a response to that glorious miracle of the gospel. And you know what we call that? That response? We call that worship. We call that worship. And so with that, with this whole text, putting it all together, so we have this broken worship, this fallen worship that is born out of needing to supplement what the gospel is, but we know the gospel is sufficient. We know what Jesus did is sufficient. And so because what Jesus did is sufficient, we're not being obedient and righteous to earn anything. We're being obedient and righteous because that's our worship. We're being obedient and righteous because of what God's already done for us.